So I want to do something a little different today for the Poetry Corner podcast. This is Dr. Timothy Bartell, and I'm going to do an experiment. Sometimes we have these poems and poets that we think we know, that we think we know well. A poet I've known for a long time is Gwendolyn Brooks. Her poem, We Real Cool, is a standard anthology piece. If you've taken a poetry class on American poetry, you've probably read it. The experiment I want to do today is look at a poem by Gwendolyn Brooks that I don't know well. I feel like I know her because I've read and talked about We Real Cool many times. I'm not going to read and talk about We Real Cool. It's a, it's a famous poem that is often compared with jazz, often compared with early to mid-century African-American culture and expression of African-American experience in Chicago. I want to look at a poem of hers that I don't know well and start to talk about what I notice in it and try and expand my own experience of Brooks's poetry. She's one of our great 20th century writers, one of our great 20th century poets. In fact, she was the first African-American woman to win the Pulitzer Prize in 1950. So this is a poem from 1945 called Still Do I Keep My Look, My Identity. And I'm going to read it and start to get to know it along with you. Each body has its art, its precious prescribed pose that even in passion's droll contortions, waltzes, or push of pain, or when a grief has stabbed or hatred hacked, is its and nothing else's. Each body has its pose, no other stock that is irrevocable, perpetual, and its to keep, in castle or in shack, with rags or robes, through good, nothing, or ill. And even in death a body, like no other on any hill or plain or crawling cot, or gentle for the lilyless hasty pall, having twisted, gagged, and then sweet ceased to bother, shows the old personal art, the look, shows what it showed at baseball, what it showed in school. One of the first things that stands out to me about this poem is it gets around to death eventually and it's one of those subjects that's never far from poetry i want to think about how she gets to that death section the first time i read it just about five minutes ago the death portion really stood out to me i want to talk through how she gets there still do i keep my look my identity I love that title. It makes me wonder, is it a quotation from somewhere? I haven't looked it up. Like I said, this poem is very new to me. Still do I keep my look, my identity is a little iambic. Identity is not so iambic, my identity, in connection to still do I keep my look. Both look and my are stressed. So my identity is, in fact, trochaic. That's interesting to me. It's setting up a pattern and then breaking it. Let's look at this first Stanza, each body has its art, its precious prescribed pose, that even in passion's droll contortions, waltzes, or push of pain, or when a grief has stabbed, or a hatred hacked, is its. Now, I like this because there's a lot of dependent clauses. Each body has its art, very straightforward clause. Its precious prescribed pose that even in 
passions draw contortions is its and nothing else's. That would be a simple way to say it. But in fact, between passions draw contortions and is its and nothing else's, we have all of these descriptions of the situations in which the body keeps its pose in passions droll contortions, waltzes or push of pain, or when a grief has stabbed or hatred hacked. All of these are rather negative at the end here, when a grief has stabbed, hatred hacked, push of pain. But these first two situations where the body keeps its pose in passions droll contortions, waltzes, those are a little more positive, but Droll contortions doesn't seem particularly positive. Droll is one of those words that's a little old-fashioned, meaning something like amusing, but not exalting, not necessarily edifying, maybe diverting. And contortion, passion has a diverting or amusing contortion. That seems to indicate that passion itself is, on the whole, not necessarily a positive thing. Waltzes, that's a nice word, and I also think it's interesting that waltzes is set off from all the others by just being a noun, a plural noun. It doesn't have any modifiers. Waltzes gets to be there by itself. I think of waltzes as positive, but waltzes is also formal. Waltzes is highly regimented, and the point here seems to be that your body will keep its idiosyncratic pose, its idiosyncratic shape, even when you do something as regimented and formal as waltzing. Now, I suspect, dear listener, that this idea that individuality is capped even in highly formal circumstances is also perhaps suggestive of poetry, that when we write formally, when we write in highly regimented traditional forms, akin to waltzes and dancing, we retain our individual voice, individual pose. This idea of language posed is actually something that Eliot himself talks about. His language is posed in Prufrock, you might remember, he talks about himself poised and wriggling on a pin. It's very negative. Brooks seems to say, no, 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 even if you are stuck, even if you are regimented, your body is still itself. In fact, it's so itself that what your body has, that pose, that art, is it's and nothing else's. And then after is it's and nothing else's, she doubles down again on each body has its pose. No other stock that is irrevocable, perpetual, and it's to keep in castle or in shack. This in castle or in shack, I'm now thinking that she wants me to think about economic disparities. Castles, of course, very rich, royal, noble. Shack, of course, lowly, peasantish. But regardless, each body in that castle, in that shack, irrevocably has its own art and pose. On to the second stanza. With rags or robes, through good, nothing, or ill. I really love what she's doing there in that second clause in that line. With rags or robes. Okay, rags or robes is, is sort of doubling down on that castle or shack. Castle or shack is our 
domicile indicators of class or nobility. Rags and robes are, are sartorial indicators of nobility or class. Through good, nothing, or ill. I would expect, and I probably am amateurish enough of a writer to even have written, through good or ill, or nothing. Good or ill is so connected in our minds as, as a stock phrase, good or ill. But Brooks is, I would argue, intentionally breaking up our conventional conception of how to talk through good, nothing, or ill. And it also starts making me wonder why we think of good or ill as this either or. She introduces this idea that nothing could be a third option. You could have good, you could have ill, you could have nothing. In putting nothing in between good and ill, she's, she's disrupting how I usually speak, how I usually think. I like that. Reader, I like this poet. Listener, I like this poet. Now to the death. We were going to talk about how we got there. We have this idea that the body has its art, that in all these situations, some pleasant, though perhaps not particularly edifying, and many painful, in nobility or in non-nobility, in vulgarity or in fancy attire, regardless of all those, everybody has its pose. Through good, nothing, or ill. Good or ill, I think we could see as perhaps putting us in mind of marriage vows, for richer or poorer in sickness and in health, what comes after richer, poorer, sickness and health? Till death do we part. And what's the line after rags or robes, good, nothing or ill? And even in death, a body like no other on any hill or plain or crawling out or gentle for the lilyless hasty pall shows the old personal art. The marriage vows are a formal structure that Brooks is alluding to without coming out and saying, and I like that. This poem has a lot to discover in it. And even in death, a body like no other on any hill or plain or crawling cot, or gentle for the lilyless hasty pall, having twisted, gagged, and then sweet cease to bother, shows the old personal art. The look. Oh, it makes me wonder, wonder, this is going to sound morbid. It makes me wonder about the mortician's experience of personality in dead bodies. Brooks is writing in Chicago, a place that's famous for uh, being a dangerous place to live. And she gives voice to, among other things, the sort of rough and tumble jazz culture of Chicago. We associate Chicago, we think of those stories often ending sadly in death. But she extends personality past death into the dead body. And I think it's where she's also giving us some really interesting language, which I'm honestly a little bit confused by. On any hill or plain or crawling cot. Okay, that makes sense. Or gentle for the lilyless hasty pall. I'm going to admit that I'm not sure what she's talking about there. I love to say it. Gentle for the lilyless hasty pall, having twisted, gagged, and then sweet cease to bother. That having twisted, gagged, and then sweet cease to bother, that's its own line, and it's set off in parentheses. It strikes me as perhaps a description of someone dying, someone twisting, gagging, and then 
ceasing to live, but it's sweet ceased. There's this sweetness, uh, maybe a welcomeness to the death that's, well, it's, it's pretty bittersweet. I also wonder whether there's a connotation of acquiescence to a situation that one doesn't like, a, a situation that's degrading or painful. You could twist, gag, and then sweet cease to bother about something you've been forced to do or, or some part you've been forced to play. But the whole theme of this poem is that even in that, you retain your pose. The body retains its pose. And then we have these last two lines, which are so simple and so almost nostalgic, I would say, if not for the rest of the poem having some very dark and heavy implications. Shows the old personal art, the look. Shows what it showed at baseball, what it showed in school. The dead body is connected with the experience of childhood. What we see in the dead is what they had when they were playing sports, when they were school children. This is a short poem, but I am very taken with its ability to have deeply connotative, not just language, but conceptual patterns. Thanks for reading this along with me. Thanks for thinking through it along with me. Like all the poets that we talk about on this podcast, I recommend going and checking out more of Gwendolyn Brooks. I sure am. This has been the Poetry Corner Podcast. I'm Dr. Timothy Bartell. If you have any feedback, comments, questions, challenges to interpretation, ideas for poems or literary events or topics to talk about, please email me at poetrycorner at Thank you.